This is my good friend, Paul Tothill. I've just, I've freaked him out now, but it's just the way it is. <laughs> Guys, we, I truly believe that, that God has ordained this man and is bringing him into this house to offer who he is through Paul. And I, I want to say that because I want him to operate in the authority that I know God's given him and the freedom to do that. So I'm going to pray and then I'm going to hand over him and he can do as he pleases. Father, I just thank you for this man. I pray that you just pour out on him right now, Lord. And I pray, God, that you speak through him, Father, and allow your words to pierce our hearts, Father. I thank you for him. I, I thank you for his wife, for sowing him and allowing him to come and be with us. Why don't you pour out on her and his family for, for sacrificing him in this time? We thank you, we love you, and we honor you, Jesus. Amen. Go for it. Well, good morning, everybody. It's wonderful to be with you. And I just want to firstly honor Ben and Jess. Thank you so much for having Adam and I in. And uh, we just respect the authority that God has given you and honor the authority God has given you both to be the shepherds of this wonderful flock and to be a shepherd in the city. So we just submit ourselves to the local authority. Um, and we do come... Um, not patting ourselves on the back, but what has been recognised by some uh, on our life as, as fivefold gifts, and I'll come to that in a minute. But I, I just want to introduce myself a little bit, and perhaps Adam, that you might not know us that well. Um, I'm a lawyer by training, and that might become obvious today. Uh, and I, I, I'm, I'm an intellectual guy, I'm a cerebral guy. Um, but I've had a journey where the Lord has actually engaged me in things that I can't deny the evidence of. And so a lot of what I used to do was criminal prosecutions, defense and prosecutions and done murder trials and all those kinds of things. So I'm a man of evidence and I'm a man of principle. And one of the things that God started to show me was the limitation of my understanding about the kingdom realm of God. That we basically can't fit the wisdom of God into our own wisdom. And I had to get on a journey of leaving my cerebral mind and trusting in the Holy Spirit to bring revelation into my life. And in that journey, uh, a lot of the unseen realm became accessible, available, and I started to see things in the spirit realm, spirit dimensions have had numerous, numerous encounters. And I'll come to it shortly, but really what that did was started to change my perspective of how to read scripture, how to understand scripture. And if, you, if you've ever studied constitutional law, which most of you probably haven't, but I have, you, we, we have a phrase in constitutional law to say it's a living, breathing document. In other words, it's not static, it's not rigid, it's not a principle, it's something that keeps giving life. And I've learned that that's what the Holy Spirit does to Scripture. It keeps revealing new dimensions. And I don't know about you, but I've, I've read the Bible through so many times over the last 12, 15 years. And I come to a phrase again and the Holy Spirit just breathes on it and it comes to life in a new way. I go, I never saw that before. What was I looking at? And so we have this journey of unfolding revelation as we come into maturity into Christ. And we've been on a journey, I've been on a journey, Adam's been on a journey, where we, we've just submitted ourselves and yielded ourselves to the Holy Spirit. Not always understanding at the time what's going on. 
You know, so many of us want understanding before we step into faith. How many of you know that that's not faith? That's called knowledge. And so we want knowledge before we believe. That's not faith. In fact, you cannot enter the kingdom realm of God unless your faith is like a little child. And so we're all too grown up, aren't we? We're all too a little clever. And, and I'll tell you in a minute, but I got on a journey where God showed me my cleverness has nothing to do, nothing compared to his cleverness. And, and something had to give, and it was me. How many of you know God's not shifting his position? God's always right, and I'm always wrong, even though I think I'm right and he's wrong. There's only one measurement, and that's God. He's the eternal truth of all things, and I'm always adjusting to him, but he's always loving me into adjustment. He's always walking with me into adjustment. He's a good father. I'm married. I have been married for 33 years. I've never had a fight that I've won. <coughs> I have four beautiful adult children and four beautiful grandchildren. Uh, and I absolutely love leading a, a local church. It's, it, I tell you, I think it's easier doing a murder trial than leading a church. I, I've really got to be honest with you because I've learned so much about myself in leading others. And I want to tell you, I'm an imperfect vessel that is in the hands of God being made perfect even as we speak. So um, if, if you can say, well, oh, I can see some of your imperfections. Yes, and I celebrate them with you because in my weakness, God's glory is made perfect. Amen. So I never get try and get too perfect, although I am perfect, spiritually being made perfect before man. So I'm trying my best to get on the journey to let God's revelation be formed in me because I want to be the incarnation of Christ. And I'm going to talk about that this morning. Adam has been a good friend of mine for a lot of years. He lives around the corner from me. That's a dangerous thing. That means we hang out a bit when he's in Adelaide. Uh, of course, he's written six books, writing his seventh. Is that right? Eight. See? Eight new beginnings. So he's, he's writing his eighth book, um, you know, I've watched this man's life and we've been friends for a while. We've journeyed together. I know his marriage. I know his kids. Um, I, I know where he lives, literally. And I want to I commend this man to you. He, he is a man that's been on an amazing journey with God. Um, he, he, when he was in advertising, he spent his money just for one sign that became synonymous with Adelaide. Jesus wept. Nobody knew it was him. But there's this sign at the football everywhere, just Jesus wept. On billboards everywhere, Jesus wept. Jesus wept over a city. And that's, that was the beginning. And, and he spent years just praying in tongues to start to develop the gift that he now carries worldwide. And, and, and I want to tell you, 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 don't know, uh, you don't know who you've got here today. And it's not that I boast in a man, I boast in Christ in a man. And he's my friend and I commend him to you. Okay, I want to talk about the graces that build and equip. And I'm, I'm going to get into teacher mode today. I, not, I normally get a little excited and a little, you know, out there and a bit energetic. But the Lord said, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. So I want to speak tenderly to you today. And I, and I want you to open your hearts to Jesus, not me. I want you to hear the word of the Lord in a way that invites you to receive the revelation of Jesus. 
the revelation of Jesus. And that's what I think fivefold gifts come and do. They establish you in Christ. They don't establish you in them. The way I see the fivefold gifts operating in the body of Christ is that they come to serve you. You don't here to serve me. I'm here to serve you. Does that make sense? In other words, I come with a message that I hope will establish you in Christ so that you leave today different than the way you came in. You know, in the Old Testament, it was impermissible for a priest to come in and leave through the same doorway in the temple. The way you came in was not the way you go out. Because if you've been in the presence of God, if you've sat with the Word and the Spirit of God engaging your heart, you will be transformed even as you listen. And I want to suggest something to you, and and I'll take you through the Scriptures today. The Word of God is not to be embraced intellectually, although we can do that. The Word of God is spirit and life. Spirit and life. It's not causing a judgment. It's causing a freedom. It's causing you to become empowered. It's causing you to shift your mindset from the Word to eternal truths. Does that make sense? The spirit of the world, the culture of the world, operates on a foundation of spiritual darkness and bondage. It's a fallen culture. The only empowering, liberating culture that you can develop is framed up by the Word of God. How did God frame up the whole cosmos? Through His words he spoke through his son there was a time hebrew says that god spoke through the prophets but now he speaks through his son the same god that framed the universe everything that was not brought it into order by the power of the word is the same god that frames your world through the power of his word in you See, what culture does is culture around you shapes the world within you. But the Holy Spirit comes, and I'm going to teach you this this morning, and changes the world in you so you can change the world around you. The word in you builds a new culture. It's a Jesus culture. It's a kingdom culture. And as you receive the word and yield to the word and perform the word, you shift the culture of your inner man. You shift your subconscious neuro pathways if you want to get scientific. You change your neuro associations. You no longer interpret yourself and the world the same way. You interpret yourself and the world the way God sees you and the way God says it is. Are you there? Because everything that Jesus has established is already. It's just in another realm. It's in the unseen realm of the kingdom. It already is. Hence, Paul could say all the promises of Jesus Christ are already yes, to which we on earth go amen. Not just yeah. No, establish it. Establish it. The amen is powerful. So I'm looking for your amen this morning. Not, not for me, for you. Because as you give agreement to his words in my mouth, under the anointing he's given me for you, something gets established. It's spirit, spirit, heart to heart, life to life. Who wants to get transformed this morning? Okay, let's go through it. 
Scripture, we, we really, I want to talk about the graces that build and equip spiritual formation of the heart. You know, Jesus spoke about the heart more than anything else. You remember, you remember the time that he said, you've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said. He was talking about Moses and the law. Tablets of law that was written on the tablets. But he says, now God's writing on the tablet of your heart. You've heard it said, but I say. And he went from the external to the internal. He shifted the whole paradigm of understanding of how you live. He shifted us to say, as a man thinks in his heart, Proverbs, so is he. How you think, how you contemplate is the world you create around you. Your thought life creates your behavior. Your thought life creates your behavior. How many of you get up in the morning and rehearse the history you've been in? I promise you, everyone... And I promise you, you rehearse the drudgery of the day ahead instead of sitting there praising God, thanking God, because His mercies are fresh, what? Every morning. It's a new day. That means you can be creative. You can step into your future or you can maintain the past. You get to choose because your thought life is that powerful. So we've got to change our thinking to change our living. We've got to change our thinking to change our living. And this is a process. And this process is called sanctification. That's a big word, isn't it? It's learning how to live fully consumed in Jesus as the living word. Learning to be the incarnation of the words of God, the spirit of God in our life. So the fullness of the Godhead that dwells within us manifests himself through us. Isn't it funny that when Jesus was in the world, sinners were attracted to him. The world was attracted to Jesus, but it wasn't attracted to the Pharisees or the Sadducees because they were sad, you see. They were religious. They lived, they lived under a spirit of religion that moved against the spirit of God. And when the Spirit of God was manifest on Jesus as the living Word of God, it was attractional. We're trying to build churches without Jesus to be attractional to a world that only Jesus is the solution for. Jesus wants the church to be attractional because it looks like Him. When we start to look like Jesus, we get to do the things that Jesus did. We get to become attractional. And you know what will stand against you? The spirit of religion. Because the spirit of religion, as Jesus said, is not from God. James says, it is a wisdom from below. It doesn't bring the fruit of the wisdom from above. Amen? So it seems important, doesn't it, that we get on a journey and understand how does Christ get formed in us? How do we form these new pathways, this pattern of thinking through the Holy Spirit? How do we engage the Word? How do we engage revelation? And I want to give you a key. Everything from my own experience has come through an encounter or through the revelation by the Holy Spirit, not by my cleverness. 
I mean, I can be a clever guy. But my cleverness, my intellect is no match for God's wisdom revealed to my heart by the person of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So spiritual formation primarily takes place in our heart through the renewing of our mind. And it involves allowing the eternal truths that Jesus taught, lived and demonstrated to be received, incarnated and revealed. This is really important because we can go and read all day and get head knowledge. But until it's heart knowledge, it won't change your life. I can understand principles, but principles lead me to a person. It's the person of Jesus that's formed in me, not the principles of Jesus that are formed in me. When I'm looking for principles, I'm still in the wrong covenant. See, Jesus took me out of principles and brought me to a person. My father, who's in heaven. I didn't get there by principles. Got there by believing and having a relationship. Oh, I just feel the presence of God dropping in. See, the gospel is first and foremost about the reconciliation, the reuniting of your heart with the heart of God. First and foremost, it's the highest connection point you need to establish because God has loved you with His love to bring you in to His love that you may know how to receive love. And when you know how to receive His heart, you know how to receive His truth. When you know how to receive His heart, you know how to receive His truth. Are you with me? Why? Why? That one phrase sums up Paul's work to the letter to the Corinthians. He says, hey, you can move in signs, wonders and miracles. You can talk with tongues. You can be the biggest show pony in the well in the gifts. But if you don't have love, nothing. Worth nothing. Because you're just a show off. You're a banging climbal. It's all about you. But when you do it with the heart of God, when it's heart to heart, love to love, life to life, the spirit, Spiritual gifts that you carry are effective because they're not your gifts. They're His. He gives gifts. They're not yours. So stop acting like they are. You're not a big deal. You're just a vessel. It's not your platform. It's His. It's not your people. They're His. And you're designed to serve them with a gift that's been given to you you don't own. And therefore, for the gift to be effective, you need to carry the heart of God. If I'm going to preach the word, I've got to carry the heart of God. Why? Because even Satan knows the word of God. And what distinguishes truth from a lie is the spirit by which it's carried. It comes relevant for how do you determine a false prophet? Because you'll determine them by their heart, their fruit. Not the word. Satan can be accurate, but there's always a twist. Deception comes when we don't know the heart and the truth of God together. 
You can't separate them out. Amen? I don't know why I went there. That's not in my notes, but I'm sure I needed to go there for some reason. I'm just responding to the Holy Spirit. So spiritual formation is very important. The next thing we need to know about spiritual formation and our salvation is that when we are born again, we come into the kingdom dead to self. No one wants to talk about that anymore. We don't come in loud and proud with self at the center. We come in dead to the old self-life that was produced from eating from the wrong tree. See, that was generationally carried and we're taken out of that tree that humanity engaged in that put themselves at the center, that put self-judgment and self-righteousness at the center. And we're plucked out of that tree which bears its own fruit, which worships Satan, and we're put back into the tree of life which reveals the life and the fruit of life. What is the fruit that you eat of in the tree of life. It's the word of God. Revealed to you by the spirit of God. Are you still with me? Am I going too deep? Because when you're established in Christ, you're rooted and grounded in God's love. That's what Paul says. And that life now is relationally developed. And the truth, it bears its own fruit. When you eat it bears its own reality. So you're not just receiving the word intellectually. You've got to eat the word. You know, one of the things that happened to me, I had an encounter uh, back in Sydney many, many years ago. And a, and a gentleman prayed for me. And as, as a gentleman prayed for me, I saw an angel. Is that okay? Can I say angel here? I saw an angel, because some places I can't. I saw an angel stand above me in the realm of the spirit and he fed me a scroll and he put a scroll in me and as I ate the scroll, I think that's in the book of Revelation by the way, I've had a lot of encounters that look like the Old Testament prophets. And then God would teach me through the New Testament. He would literally teach me through the word. I'd have an experience and then I'd say, God, where is that? Lord, show me where that is in your word. And he says, through the experience, I'm going to teach you the word. So my encounters were always revelatory. And the spirit of wisdom would be revealed through the encounter to unpack the word of God. Why? Because my present mindset was too small to embrace the truth. God knows I'm a man of evidence. And when I have an experience, I know it's ridgy-didge. You know what I mean by that? We're Australian. It's, it's fair dinkum. It's real. It's evidence. So, so God gives us these encounters as evidence. Why? Because he knows it reshapes revelation to receive his word as wisdom and truth for our life. Because we put God in this box. Yeah? Let me give you an example. In 2007, my world was turned upside down when I went to a conference. Now, I went to a conference, this is going to mess with your theology, in a Baptist church. Now, we were part of a movement, we were part of a movement of those days where wrong wineskin, the wine doesn't flow. You know, the wineskin's not the, not the structure. 
It's not your denominational structure. That's not the wineskin. That's not what the wineskin is. The wineskin for the Spirit is your heart. God responds to the desire of your heart, not your factional wineskin or administration. There's Catholics that are Spirit-filled, moving powerfully. But we go, oh, the Catholics have got the wrong thing. No, look at the heart because that's what God does. God doesn't look at your denominational differences. He looks to the heart and says, that's where I can move. So there we are at this meeting and I'm hungry and I've been going after the things of the Spirit and, and, and I've been going after prophecy and I, I want more. I read the Bible and I went, why aren't I seeing that? You see, our tendency is to dumb down our experience, dumb down the Scriptures to our experience. When God says, I want to lift your experience to the reality of the Scripture. But you can't get there unless you renew your mind. Because it's your mind and your heart that's locking you out of the present experience and revelation I want to bring you into. Am I still with you? So there I am, worshipping away, worshipping away, worshipping away. And I don't know, have you ever been in a meeting where the Holy Spirit is moving so powerfully, people are doing unusual things? Unusual things. And I'm sitting there, and as these Byron Bay people who come down to Adelaide are doing unusual things, I'm getting offended. You know, because I know what it all looks like when God moves. I know how to judge things in God, because I'm so experienced in it. My little worldview, I know what it all looks like. So as God is moving... Things are breaking out everywhere. It's a train wreck. And I'm feeling even more uncomfortable. And now I go, oh, Lord, this can't be you. That's what I said quietly. And I'm looking at my wife, Tracy. She's getting really antsy as well. And, and we're about to grab our hands and say, we're out of here. Everyone really been offended in a meeting where God is moving. Now, you've got to listen to me. I'm asking God, what does it look like when you move? So he moves. Doesn't look like that. <laughs> Are you with me? So the Holy Spirit comes on me and I have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. That kind of encounter where tears and warm snot and the conviction of the heart takes place. You had one of those encounters? Where God lovingly says to me, Hey Paul, you're wrong. You've got a pharisaical spirit. And we're going to do something about that. I was the one limiting God because of the construct of the pattern of my thinking. And he allowed the encounter to come to smash my grid. The next night I come back and people are doing unusual things. And I went, got it covered. Not judging that. I've worked this out. Yep, I'm not going to be a Pharisee. The Lord said, get on your face and worship me. Yeah, Lord, I love you. I'm a worshiper. So I thought. Then I started thinking, what if somebody else sees me getting radically worshiping God? What about that? I'm a leader in the city. Like All of a sudden, something puffed up in me. And I started having these internal thoughts that were self-protective about how foolish it would look to actually submit myself utterly in worship to God. So the Holy Spirit says, I said, get on your face and worship the Lord. Yes, Lord, I love you. That's not what I said. Get on your face and worship. Yes, Lord, 
the third time, the Holy Spirit convicts me. I have another encounter. Warm snot, tears, the whole shooting match. I'm going, oh, flip, I'm getting a hiding. You know what? God was loving me into freedom, truth, and life. And I got on the floor. And in the moment I got on the floor, the kabod glory of God fell upon me. I literally could not physically get up off the floor. It was like, you know, you ever seen a pub floor after a Saturday night where it's sticky and gluey? Like you can't, you don't even want to be down there. I was stuck to the floor. I literally was paralyzed by the Holy Spirit. And I started going into envisions and encounters. And the Lord started to teach me and teach me and teach me. I had encounters for a week that so radically changed my lawyer brain that God started to open the scriptures to me in a whole new way. But I needed the revelation through an experiential reality because what was hidden deep in my heart was a pattern of thinking that was locking me out of what God was trying to bring me into. Am I relating to anyone today? You see, I believe we all in that position. And I believe that the Word of God, when brought through an anointing, has the power to do exactly what I had to experience through an encounter. See, you can encounter Jesus through the Word of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit. But it depends how you approach the text. What are you looking for? Are you looking for a principle to be good? Or are you looking for Jesus who you're going to become like? If you approach the text... You will see Jesus and you will see the kingdom. It's hidden in the old and revealed in the new. It's there all the way through. And so I started to ask God, would you show me the revelations, the patterns, the theme and the flow of Scripture? And he did. He did. Not because I'm special, but because I asked. I said, Lord, I want to understand how your word transforms my life. I want to understand what must I hang on to and what must I let go. I don't want to be of the world. I want to be of your word. I want to be of the word that brings life and eternal transformation because I want to be like you. See, my desire was I wanted to be like him. And I knew I wasn't like him. See, the moral imperative of all scripture is that you be conformed to the likeness of Christ. Why is that so important? Because when you carry the heart of God, the kingdom will flow through you effortlessly. When you follow principles, you're still doing it under your strength. You're loving knowledge ahead of faith. That's what the world we live in. That was a problem for the early church as well. Don't think it's just a problem for us. You see, I had to actually learn that God loved me like a son. I didn't know that. You know, in the 80s, I went to a church, was spirit-filled, spoke in tongues, and I'd be the guy that every prophetic evangelist would come in and you up the back. Oh, me again. Got a prophetic word for you. Got a prophetic word for you. God was yelling at me, and I wasn't listening. And then these words were just so big, I didn't know what to do with them. I didn't know what to do with a prophetic word. No one had taught me what a prophetic word even was. How does it work? And I didn't want to do right then and there what they were telling me. I didn't know that it could take 20, 30 years to be fulfilled. 
Everyone, I just thought I've got to leave my job tomorrow and go and be a pastor. I'm not feeling it, baby. I'm going to be a lawyer. <laughs> and so I did. But it meant then I was challenged in the very church I was in. So you know what? I said sayonara. I'm going to be in the world for a while. And I turned my back. Because I got a word for my future that I didn't know how to handle. But here's what the word of God to you does. Just like Joseph. It defines you. It forms you. It shapes you. Because God is faithful to get you to who he's called you to be. Then one, my life went downhill. I would call myself a mudguard. Do you know what a mudguard is? All polished on the outside and full of underneath. My inside world was not matching my outside masquerade. I was practicing law. I was loving law. I was being successful. God's grace and hand was still on me. Because I knew that my present ability wasn't getting me the favor that I was getting. I knew it was God. And all the while, he wanted to deal with my heart. Until one day, after about eight, nine years, when I couldn't even love my wife effectively, I didn't know how to love my kids effectively because I didn't know how to love. I knew how to perform. I knew how to function. I knew how to be successful. I knew how to drive myself. I knew how to be motivated. But I didn't know how to love. So one Easter, there's a meeting and the family's gathering and my father-in-law, who would often stand with me in these things, caved in. He's passed away now, but I'll take it up with him in heaven. And we decided to go to a meeting. I went to that meeting with my arms crossed up the back of the meeting. But I knew in my heart my knife was about to change because the Holy Spirit within me had never gone anywhere because I was born again. The Holy Spirit was saying, I'm still here. Jesus was saying, I'm still here. I didn't know how to respond because of the things of my orphanness. I had an orphan spirit. And I stood up the back, and as my sister-in-law went to the front, a cloud came into the room. I thought they had a smoke machine. It was so real to me. This is going to mess with your theology, right? Because God resists the proud, right? Unless he wants you. <laughs> then he doesn't mind. He steps in because his love is more powerful than your pride. My sister went down. The cloud appeared and God spoke to my heart. He said, Paul, you're my son. I love you. I've always loved you. Every ounce of resistance, every ounce of pride just melted away. And I went, I've never experienced anything like this in my whole life. Not from my wife, not from my children, not from my friends. This is liberating love. This is empowering. And it set me on a direction to come back into the fold. And so there was this unfolding journey that started with the love of God. Now, why do I tell you that? Because Paul says the same thing. He said, God puts the Holy Spirit 
in you as a witness to tell you that you're sons of God, that you have the full assurance of your relationship with Him. The full assurance that He loves you unconditionally. Not based on your keeping the rules. You see, we think with a worldly mindset, if I keep the rules, God will love me. Because that's how the world lives. And we think discipline is punishment and discipline is not punishment. Discipline is correction to bring you back into the way of truth and life because God loves you. We've got, ridden, we've got rid of the idea that God disciplines the children he loves. Why do you bring discipline? Because your children are off track and you love them enough to know that where they're heading is not their future and their prosperity. So when God comes and brings correction to us, he's doing it because he loves us like he loves himself. How much does God love you? The same way he loves his son, the same way he loves the Holy Spirit, the same way he loves himself. God cannot produce a command he doesn't keep. That's a lawyer speaking. He's the legislator. He's the parliament in heaven. And he says, this is how it works. Love God, love one another as you love yourself. So how does God love you? Does he break the law and sin? Can't sin. There's no darkness in him. So he loves you the same way he loves himself. Now, why is that a big deal? Because unless you know the love of God, you won't rightly discern the truth of God. Satan knew the truth, but he was separated from the love of God. See, Satan is the original orphan. And he builds through the spirit of religion orphans that know how to follow principles but don't know how to live in relationship with God. So he keeps you out of the relationship working in the principle. God says, forget the principle, come into the relationship because when you know my love, you want to live the truth. Are you there? We've got it the wrong way around. So we have to renew our mind to come out of and into and what I'm trying to emphasize to you is all of this is done through the work of the Holy Spirit. All of this is done through revelation, through prophecy, through words of knowledge. All of those things are always working towards you to invite you in to something more than what you're in. Always to shift your paradigm. See, many of you will see yourself a certain way. But God's written a scroll concerning you. He's written all of his thoughts to you, Psalm 139. He's already written them down. He's got every thought towards you. He's already written a book. And he invites you into it. Why? Because you were born for that fulfillment. That is the perfect, pleasing, and acceptable will of God for you. But you're not meant to do it alone. You're meant to do it in a family. You cannot fulfill your prophetic destiny, just you and God. We try. I'll go it alone, thanks, brother. I'll go alone, thanks. It's just me and God. I just need to be me and God. 
Who's ever heard that? All it's about is just me and God. That's all that matters. It's just a private little thing going on between me and God. That is so unscriptural, it's not funny. It's fundamental error, and it's not of God. The Holy Spirit does not lead you to sit at home alone because you can't interact with other members of God's family. We're not naughty children locked in the room alone till we get better. We're meant to be at the table together, eating together, laughing together, loving together, and doing work together. That's what we're meant to be doing. And at the center of the table is Jesus. The center of the table is the Father. The center of the table is the Holy Spirit. Why? Because Jesus said, go into all the world. Here's your commission. I haven't changed my mind. From Genesis to Matthew 28, I haven't changed my mind. Here's your purpose. As my children, identity is in God. Purpose is in mission. What are you meant to do? Go into all the world. And do what? Baptize them in. And oh, how we've made a mess of that phrase. So we go, I put you underwater, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's not what Jesus means. Because the word baptizo has been mucked around. What it means is to live fully immersed in the Godhead. Live fully immersed in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach people to live fully immersed in God. Why? Because Paul says you've become one in your union with Christ Jesus. And then he talks about this mystery in Ephesians 5. And he says, I'm not talking about a husband and wife. I'm talking about Christ and the church. What the heck? Do you see the shift? I'm not talking about a husband and a wife. I'm talking about Christ and his church. You see, the why, why we, the Bible uses the language of a perfect bride is the perfect bride is perfectly supplied by the husband redeemer. Jesus, because the life you live is now fully yielded to the life he gives. Gee, I feel the presence of God. See, this is, this is the stumbling block for the church in this hour. We don't want to live as one with Jesus, yet it's the very life flow. It's the very centerpiece of Paul's apostolic teaching. It's the very life flow of living in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. It's the very life flow of moving in through the revelatory realms of God. It's the very life flow of the mysteries of the kingdom being revealed to you spirit to spirit. When you got born again, you gave up your individualism. You know how much marriage counseling I do? Lots. And I learned from my own mistakes, FYI. How many of you know it's a progressing thing? Marriage takes commitment, doesn't it? Marriage takes understanding. Because once upon a time, I lived independent by myself and I was raised in my father's house. Yeah? And in my house, we didn't do quite the same things as what Tracy did in her father's house. And so two histories, two cultures, two set of values come together now in one new house. 
And if I'm really strong, it's my way or the highway. And Tracy goes, there's no way it's your way. Because my way is better than your way. So what do we do? Do we wrestle against each other? Or do we realize that Christ is the center of our marriage? And our marriage is in his house, not my house. I want his house in my house so I can have a great marriage. See, when you come to Jesus, you're no longer single. You've said, I want to live for you. I want to give myself to you in the same way in response of that you've given yourself to me. See, love is not about what I get. Love is about what I'm willing to give. And so when I come to Jesus dead to self, I'm in the new way to live in agape love, unconditional love. I'm, I can live from God's love now because he puts his love in me. Why? So I can have love that flows from me. I can't have a relationship with my wife in God's house apart from the flow of his love in me. I'm not meant to even love you with my love because it's not going to do the job. My love's really selfish. But his love is not. You see, when I think coming into this house is about me, I don't yet know the love of God. I've lost my connection and I'm still living with my connection to the world stronger than my connection to Jesus and his words and his spirit and his life. And so we get on this journey where we've got to dislodge ourselves from the world to lodge ourselves in his word. And that takes place deep in our heart. Am I making sense this morning? So love and truth work together. It's through intimacy with God that we come into the revelatory realm. It's through intimacy with God. Now, this is another thing that we struggle with. You know, if I want to build a relation, and I use marriage because this is the metaphor, this is the mystery that Paul talks about in Ephesians 5. His theme is you are one in Christ, one with Christ. But here's the thing. It's not just me personally that's one with Christ. All of us are one with Christ. That means when I'm baptized into Christ, into his name, and I don't have time this morning to go through what that means in a Hebraic sense, but when I'm baptized into his name, I'm baptized into the fullness of his life, the fullness of his promises, the fullness of his blessings. I'm baptized into fullness. I come out of the world of fear, loss, and lack, and I come into the world of faith, love, and fullness. I'm used to thinking from fear, loss, and lack with me in control. I've now got to come into a world that's based on his love, his truth, and his fullness by faith. I've got to let go to come in. And that's the faith step that's really, really scary. Because you know what? I want to be in control. 
And if you're in control, God can't be. See, he takes you out of yourself, puts you into him, that he may be the provider to give you the desires of your heart. See, what we do is we stay here in the world and say, God, give us the desires of our heart. He says, uh, uh, uh. There's a supply problem because you need the connection to get the supply. You need the connection to get the supply. When you said, when you went under the water and you were baptized in Christ, you said, my old life with me at the center as a single person is finished. I'm now married. And I can't live like a single man in a marriage. Can we, Adam? You can try. I promise you your wife won't be happy with it, men. Am I making sense this morning? I'm so far off those notes I took all night to do. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit, because I feel there's something that God wants to touch here for you. Am I resonating with anyone? Because you've all, you all got that, that look on your face like, sheepers, I better go home and take some flowers to my wife. I better look after my husband. I'm not talking about marriage. I'm talking about Christ and the church. <laughs> Although that would be a good idea, perhaps. Because that union draws you to constant intimacy. A marriage without intimacy doesn't keep the emotional, spiritual, physical wholeness of the oneness. So God not only deals with you spiritually, He deals with you physically and emotionally. He looks after all of your needs. <laughs> he, look, he's a good husband. Is, what, is, what does Paul say? No husband, no man. No one causes harm to themselves. Is Christ going to cause harm to you? No, you're one with him. If he harms you, he harms himself. Then why have we built a theology around sin and punishment and harm? Oh, God needs to make me really sick so I learn a lesson. God nearly make, needs to make me really, really poor so I learn a lesson. No, he doesn't work like that. He doesn't bring that upon you. We bring that upon us because we are judged by our own words and actions. He's trying to pull us out of that and bring us into him. Am I going too deep? Romans 8.14 The mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.15 But you have received the spirit of full acceptance. Full acceptance. Enfolding you into the family of God. You've not just come in married. You've come in an extended family how's that hey you see we're actually brothers and sisters and like most families we struggle to get along every now and then but at the end of the day we have the same bloodline you know if you fail we fail I'm a dad I don't want one of my kids to fail and I know that when one of my kids fail, the family suffers loss. 
And as I've grown up and learned how to be a grandfather, and my children have become fathers and mothers in their own rights, what happens is that they learn to come alongside of each other because they've learned the maturity of what it is to be family. I don't treat them as little children, although they're my children and they long to be loved like a child, but I treat them like mothers and fathers who are raising children of their own. You see, my relationship shifts back, but my love doesn't change. Because I need to give them space to take responsibility to carry the revelations that they've learned in development now that they reproduce what I reproduced in them. That's what we're meant to do. It's what we're meant to do for one another. You see, nowhere does Paul say that the pastor does all of the shepherding and caring in the church. He provides a model so that those mature amongst you will look after those who are weak amongst you. It's the body looking after the body, not the shepherd looking after the body. It's an impossibility. I mean, you imagine, you imagine you're all in one family and I'm your dad. There's no way I can give you adequate time and attention for all of your needs. But look to the person next to you. Look to the person that's in your sphere. They can. <laughs> you catch it. I don't know why we're going there this morning. But there's something about what has to be formed in our heart that comes back and looks apostolic. It looks like what Jesus died for. It looks like what Jesus spoke about. It looks like what Paul understood the mysteries of through his straight street encounter. You know, he was a zealous Pharisee. He was a zealous Pharisee. He was standing there supervising the stoning of Stephen. He was against the current apostolic movement. Dead against it. Then he had an encounter. And I don't see a horse in the text. He was knocked off his horse. That's not in the scripture. Soul, soul, why do you persecute me? Why do you persecute me? Paul goes, what? He's blinded for three days, has a straight street experience. He straightens up and flies right. There's a song. And his eyes are open and he carries this revelation. He's so excited now Christ has been revealed to him. Now the mysteries that he couldn't understand by his mere intellect and his zeal as revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. I said I was going to teach, didn't I? And as the Holy Spirit brought him revelation, it turned his world upside down. He goes back, he preaches under risk then they have to remove him. He goes back to Tarsus for 10 years. Well, he contemplates his experience. What shaped Paul's revelation was the experience in an encounter through the Holy Spirit with Jesus himself. That experience began the birthing of an apostolic move as if he had been with Jesus himself Physically, 
In fact, those apostles that have been with Jesus physically said of Paul, he says things that are hard for us to understand. In other words, there is a superior revelation available because of the ascension of Christ more than if you were walking with Jesus right now. Because the power of the Holy Spirit unlocks the mysteries of the kingdom realm that you are meant to enter into as a son and a daughter to manifest on the earth. But you can't do it by principles outside of a relationship. You can't do it outside of learning how to be as one with Him yielded to the Holy Spirit. That's where I'm heading. Let's have a look. I'm going to show you some more scripture. See, see, Paul prayed to the Ephesians church along these lines. Ephesians 1.17. So all of the beginning of Ephesians is the predicate or the foundation for the prayer. I pray that the Father of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, would impart to you the riches of the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of of revelation to experientially know him not conceptually know him that word in the greek there is not a conceptual knowledge it's an experiential knowledge our christianity is not a concept it's a person it's relational it's experiential and it's worked out through the holy spirit to know him through the deepening intimacy with him the deepening intimacy with him what paul is talking about is no less than what jesus taught and lived i mean when jesus was teaching his disciples about how all of this works how the revelation of heaven is manifested in him and through him. How the, the governmental realm of the kingdom is carried in him. Government is carried in your heart, by the way. Gifts are in your hand, but government's in your heart. See, we want more power, but God wants to give us more authority. And to give the church more authority from which the power flows, you need a pure heart. See, Jesus had the Spirit without limitation and all authority. Didn't he? That's what the Bible says. Why? Because there was nothing in his heart that Satan could lay hold of. Heart and authority are linked together. That's why God wants a pure bride to carry the end time authority to defeat principalities and powers that lock up cities, nation and people. God wants to unlock a city, but he's looking for a people of intimacy first. Because intimacy transforms your heart because of the revelation that renews your mind. You come out of the world and you come into him. You come out of what the world says and you come back into what God says. What God says is eternally true. What the world says is a fad. So how many of you growing up with somebody speaking over your life that you're not this, you're not that, and you're this, and you're that. Anyone? All of us have. I have. 
And it still goes on in the body of Christ today. We talk negative. We talk words over each other, which are mostly built on jealousy and pride. And we frame people's destinies by our own fleshy words. Do you know who was the first false prophet? The first false oracle in the garden? Satan. Who wrongly told, wrongly twisted who Adam and Eve already were. See, God comes back through the prophetic to remind you who he says you are. What matters is what God says you are, not what man says you are. What matters is what God says that he loves you, not your experience historically of people who couldn't love you. It's not what he says, you know, I don't feel valued. God says you're most valuable because it took my blood to save you. You are, you are so valued. You, I put the same value on you that I put on myself. God values you. And every time I have something in my heart that disagrees with God's word, I've got to say, that's not true of me. And as I meditate on the Word of God, day and night, I'm not trying to become someone. I'm trying to reform my thinking to the reality of who I already am. See, we, we, we're trying to strive to be somebody else. No, rest in who you already are. But you don't know who you already are because you don't know what God says about you. James says, the word is like a mirror. And you know how I used to read that? I used to read that by going, gee, I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not this, wrong lens. When I read it again, I went, I am. I think somebody else used that phrase in the Bible. I am a son of God. I am dearly loved. I am in union with Christ. I am blessed. I am valued. I am favoured. I am, I am, I am, I am. Every morning, I don't rehearse my problems. I rehearse who I am in Him. And when we start to rehearse who we are in Him, guess what? The church gets built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. It's in the heart that we build the church. This is only the expression of what we carry in our heart. That's all it is. If it's not in your heart, it won't be in your hands. If it's in your heart, it'll be in your hands. You see, because God loves me, I desire to please Him. I don't desire to please Him so He'll love me. Because I already am, I can. Does it mean it's all smooth? Beer and Skittles? It's all no problems? No. I've got a world that's going to oppose who I am and what I want to do. I've got a culture that wants to oppose me. There's a religious spirit that wants to oppose me. But where do I get my strength? Him. I go back to the Word. I go study the Word again. And I ask for the spirit of revelation, the spirit of truth to come and fill me up. you remind me again. He says, hey, you're my boy. You're my girl. You're not an orphan. You're a son. You're not Oliver Twist. You're royalty. Come on now. You see, that's what it means to live by the revelatory realm of God. 
You live from what is already established in heaven, revealed to you through the Holy Spirit, properly discerning the word and establishing it in your life. Everything that Jesus lived is ours. Everything Jesus said and won for us is ours, both now and into the future. You've already entered in to eternal life. Already. And so God wants to give you the prophetic secrets, the hidden things that he wants to reveal to you. See, God shouts his truths, but he whispers his secrets. And those that want to live in him, be intimate with him, draw to him, live from him, they get to learn. They they learn to train their senses. They learn to open their spirit. And we learn to open and train our spirit to respond to the words of heaven. And God's going to release wisdom, revelation, understanding. Paul wouldn't pray an apostolic prayer if God wouldn't fulfill it. See, that's my prayer over you. That's my prayer for this house. That's my prayer for this city and this nation. That Jesus would once again be the center of the church. That once again we would learn how to walk in the Spirit, to halak, hand in hand with God. You know, Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. In your biggest mess, He's standing with you. In your greatest trial, He's standing with you. When it's all going right, He's standing with you. Although we get a little bit puffed up and we go, look what I did. Where's Jesus? He just goes, "Mm mm-hmm. Why was Israel in the desert? Deuteronomy 8. So that they could learn humility. So they could learn humility. And then he said, didn't you know I brought you out these 40 years? That humble yourself, you would know that your life is lived by every word that proceeds from my mouth. When I speak, stuff happens. When you respond, stuff happens. When God speaks his revelatory word through the Holy Spirit to your heart, it has three ingredients. It's called the rhema word of God. The present word of God. It carries first and foremost his authority. There is no greater authority in heaven or on earth. It's cosmic authority. It's king's authority. His word carries his authority. To do what? To shift things and to create things. Second thing it carries is his grace or his anointing, his ability to perform the very thing that he says to you. The third thing it carries is his faith because God believes in what he says. Authority, anointing, and his faith. And you know all you have to do is add your mustard seed to his word. Take the faith step to obedience and everything in that word is designed to manifest. You start creating a new future through your obedience to God's present word. Your past will say, trust in yourself before you trust in God. Your relationship says, trust in God before I trust in myself. 
if we're not connected to the union that we've been brought into, if we don't go after intimacy with God, you will miss the present words He's been trying to speak into your life. If you live so intent to live by the pattern of the world, not the pattern of Him, you will not be able to give approval to the present things He's trying to reveal to you. We've got to slow down, reorientate, and rebuild. Amen? Let me pray for you. I do have notes that look nothing like what I preached. Available to you, lots and lots of scriptures that you can go to. I can make them available to you if you're interested. But you know, when the Holy Spirit gets me way off my notes, can you just turn that off? That's my phone. Probably my wife calling me. When the Holy Spirit gets me way off my notes, I know he's touching something in the room. So I know that God wants to transform hearts this morning. Who got some revelation this morning? Okay. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. And I know that you are drawing this, these people back to your heart, back to a place of intimacy. And I know for some of these people, it's been a really tough, difficult season. They've been pushing in and pushing in, but they haven't entered your rest. Now, I pray, Father, Holy Spirit, there will just be a complete reorientation, a renewing of the mindset that you would break the pattern of striving to establish the pattern of rest, faith, trust, fullness, and love. That they would know that they are dearly loved. That your promises are assured by the amen we give. That in Christ, everything is available. And Father, I just pray also for relationship, not only with you to be deepened and established, and Jesus to be made known to our hearts in a greater way. I pray for relationships in this community to be established because there's depth of relationship in you. I pray for your apostolic prophetic mandate upon this house, upon this city, and upon this nation. And I know, Father, that we are sowing seeds together. And everyone in this room is a seed in the ground for your glory to be revealed. I pray that you would water it, that you would nurture it, and that you would cause the increase that only you can bring supernaturally. I pray, Father, for those hearts that have been hurt historically to be healed even right now. And I break every word curse, every inner vow that has been spoken over us or spoken by us in the name of Jesus. I ask for the Holy Spirit that you would change the internal narrative of everyone in this room. That you would change the inner dialogue to your dialogue. That you would invade their hearts in a way that we, we just don't even know the depth of. That you would just open up hearts. That you would establish every single one of them 
in you in a whole new way because they have responded to the grace and to the word that they've received today by the Holy Spirit. Lord, we confess our cleverness is nothing compared to your wisdom revealed in the Holy Spirit. So Lord, I just pray right now that as they just open their hearts that you'll just encounter them with revelation upon revelation. That there would just, I just see right now, I see chains coming off. I see actually high towers, high towers, wrong thinking being smashed, being dismantled. You know, the, 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 the Bible says that God's word is like a hammer and like a fire. And Jeremiah came to destroy and to build up. And I believe right now there's both a, a demolition and a rebuilding taking place in your hearts and your minds. Right now. Here's my counsel. Adam is going to come this afternoon out of this foundation, bring his gift set to add to it. The two things work together, not apart. They work together. When Jesus said to Philip, he said this. He said, Philip, didn't you know these miracles I do? Sorry, the, the Father and I are one. Father and I are one. These miracles, these words I speak belong to the Father. The Father speaking through me. He said, that if you don't believe on the words I speak, at least believe on the miracles that the Father does through me. Signs, wonders, and miracles work with the word to reveal the word. And the word is what reframes your life, your heart, and your very being. Amen? They work together. But all of it is the work of the Holy Spirit moving. Amen? Bless you.